Okay, now God is teaching David how to live in the secret place with God. That's a place of security and safety, peace. And the emphasis is on with God. You can't live in the secret place without God. The whole idea is to live life with him. And how you live in the secret place is to go the same direction as God, to walk in his ways, going in the same direction. You do the same things that God does and you stick with him. Now how you do these things is you think about them beforehand. It's called premeditation. You think about these things beforehand so that when it comes time to do them, mentally, you're prepared. It's a deliberate act. So that when you get the chance to do anything you want, you actually want to do things the way God does them. Does that make sense? You think about his ways, so when the time comes, you make a choice and do things his way. Now when you do things God's way, the result is miraculous. That's what we're looking at this morning. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, take note. David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goat. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now what happened afterward, that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So, you look at this and you say, God allowed Saul to come into David's power and David did not hurt him. Now what happened was, Saul was just about to capture David in the last chapter. And then the Philistines show up and they say, you gotta come and help us right now. 
So Saul is going, but, 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 I'm just about to. So he has to go and stop the Philistines. But he almost had him. Well, that's over. And he's back on the hunt. And someone informs on David, Saul, he's hiding in En Gedi. So Saul takes his standing army of 3,000 men. And you know, David at this time has about 600 men. So Saul outnumbers David five to one. And Saul means to crush David. And then... Saul sort of has to go to the bathroom. Innocent enough. So he goes into a cave, and I suppose his men are guarding outside. Nobody can interrupt the king when he's tending to business. And there's Saul doing his thing, and David and probably 600 guys are in the cave looking at this. And now Saul is outnumbered 600 to 1. Can you imagine things kind of flipping like that? Now David's guys are excited. They're going, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. David, praise the Lord. Because evidently somebody made a prophecy the word of the Lord to David. And they all knew it. God said, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. David, you can do anything you want. And so you know what David's guys are saying? David, you can do Anything you want, kill him, kill him, kill him. This is it. Woohoo! Now that's the way they interpret that word from the Lord. That's what they would do. I got my enemy right here. It's a no brainer. Kill him. This is great. God said I could. So David goes to Saul, but this is one of those things where you have to slow it down. You ever seen a Japanese cartoon? And the guy is going to make a layup basketball shot. And in real life, it only takes half a second. But in an anime, it takes like a half an hour. Because you got the speed lines and he's going up, but he's having a flashback of his entire life. And he's thinking about what will happen if he makes it? What will happen if he doesn't? What will his parents say? And he'll either be the goat or the hero. And it's a half an hour putting the basketball into the hoop. David is having an anime moment here. And he's thinking about what do I do? Now, evidently, David doesn't want to kill Saul. Do you get that? He's that close, he's got a sword, but mm, 
I don't know. Doesn't seem quite right. I don't want to kill him. It seems wrong, doesn't it? Well, I'll send him a message. Now, what does that message say? Well, first of all, it says David was here. And that's a little violent right there, isn't it? Here's my sword. Here's your robe. And it kind of sends this message like, you know what? That could have been you. And maybe you don't need to be breathing down my neck because maybe I'm a little bit dangerous and maybe the next time that'll be you. So lay off of me. Right? Don't push me. Or it could get worse. But then that doesn't even seem right to David. Now, all he did was cut off the robe, and he goes, ah, that wasn't right. Remember, we're in this anime moment with speed lines, and he's thinking, why isn't that right? I didn't hurt him. And why wasn't that right if the word of the Lord said, I can do anything I want to him? Why is my conscience bugging me? Why was that wrong? But see, the way he did it, it was a threat. You know what a threat is? An expression of intent to inflict evil, Injury and damage. So the message was, if you don't look out, next time it's going to be you. But this is what Saul is already accusing David of doing. He's accusing David of being a traitor, of being evil, grasping, wicked, Kill me, take the kingdom. Now David's conscience is bothering him because that is not the right message he wants to give. Because he doesn't mean harm to Saul at all. And he just threatens Saul with evil. And that means he's really justifying Saul because he really is a danger. And Saul is right to take 3,000 guys and hunt him down and kill him because he really is a threat. But you know, it also occurs to David that Saul is the Lord's anointed. God picked him. And if I do anything to him, I am rebelling against God. Now, this sort of sets a precedent, doesn't it? Maybe Saul is a bad king. Maybe he's doing a crummy job. But the only one who can determine that and do anything about it is God. Because when David is king, 
Somebody could, could decide David is doing a bad job and I'm going to kill him and do a better job. And then somebody else can decide, well, that guy is doing a bad job. I'm going to kill him and do a better job. Now, you know, that's the way government in the world works. Somebody decides he's doing a bad job. We need to kill him and get a good guy in there. And they keep killing the kings and keep getting good guys in there who in turn get killed. You can't see God in that. That's not God's way. So it's not David's call. Saul is the anointed of the Lord. He is God's problem to deal with in God's time. It's not my problem. And in fact, this is part of the law of God, where he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And it doesn't belong to anybody else. Now, these are principles that apply in every situation. This is the idea of principle, okay? This is something that is right when it's a good time, and it's right when it isn't a good time. These principles don't change depending on, oh, I got an opportunity here to do something that's against my principle. Ordinarily, I wouldn't kill him, but now it's really easy. So let me just break my principle and kill him now. Because it's so easy, right? That's what his men want to do. But David says no. A principle never changes. That's because it comes from God, and God never changes. So when it works in my favor, great. When it doesn't work in my favor, doesn't make any difference. The principle doesn't change. So here in our anime moment, David thinks, whoa, this is the wrong message. He is God's anointed. I have to send the right message quick before it gets misinterpreted. So look what happens in verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you? But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. 
yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the, of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So David reveals himself to Saul and he humbles himself and he honors the king. Now this is the right message. My hand shall not be against you. You are the Lord's anointed and I respect that choice. And he holds up the edge of his robe. And that's now the right message. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And I'm showing you that I do not mean you harm. There's no evil, no rebellion. And I have not sinned against you, though you are sinning against me. And see, he quotes this proverb in verse 13. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Wicked is as wicked does. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. You don't get nice fruit off of a weed. And no thorn, no thistle can bear good fruit. So the fruit will show. Now David spares Saul's life and honors him. And Saul wants to kill David. Who is right? It is completely obvious. And here is David humbling himself before Saul. He says, you, king of Israel, you came out to look for a dead dog? A flea? That's who he is in comparison to Saul. He's not exalting himself. He's humbling himself. And this humility gives David this tremendous courage to do this. Do you know that he is now outnumbered 3,000 to 1? All Saul has to do is twitch his finger and David is dead. But David has deliberately humbled himself and made himself defenseless before Saul. Could you do that? David does it because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's living according to God's principle which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, verse 16, look at this. So it was, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept 
Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now Saul is completely unprepared for this. Never entered his mind. And he is overwhelmed by this. He is completely disarmed. Is this your voice, my son David? Now he knows David's voice when he hears it. He cannot believe that he is hearing David say these things. Because he's built up this picture of David in his mind, that David is this wicked, grasping, oh, he's trying to get rid of me. He is my enemy, he is my enemy. I gotta get him, I gotta get him. He's out to get me. And then David says these things and he says, that's not, that's not what I've been thinking about, David. That, that is the David that I know who has served me like a son. That's the real David. And he bursts out weeping. Here's this king and he just kind of goes ah and he's crying David is so right Saul is so wrong that it hits him like a sledgehammer his own conduct is so merciless so ungrateful so wrong. He is ashamed for himself. And then can you imagine what Saul is confessing here? The obvious truth. He's agreeing with David. You are more righteous than I. May the Lord bless you. And he understands. David does not consider him to be his enemy. He gets it. And you know, this is really David's attitude. I was reading uh, Psalm 18. And there's a, a, what they call the superscription above the psalm. Now you know, the, the Jews consider that just as much a part of scripture as the psalm itself. And this is what it says, it's really striking. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. 
Isn't that a funny way to put it? Why doesn't that lump Saul with all of his enemies? Why is it from the hand of all his enemies and Saul? Because David did not consider Saul to be his enemy. He made that decision. Saul is not my enemy. He's God's problem. And you know, here Saul confesses, David, I know you're going to be king. And he makes David promise not to kill his family. Now see, this is what the, the new king does. When he becomes king, he kills everybody in the previous king's family because one of them could have a legal right to the throne and ruin his new dynasty. So the first thing you do is you kill every relative and every friend of the previous dynasty. And Saul knows this. And so he says to David, would you please promise not to kill my family? Because he knows David's going to be king. He knows it. And so David swears. Can you imagine? Now Saul is trusting David to be a man of principle and stick to his promise and not kill his family. That's what Saul's depending on. So now Saul feels safe. But then all of this goodness ends with a mystery. Did you see what the mystery was? Right at the end there in verse 22, Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold? What? You'd think that when Saul confesses, I'm wrong, you're right, you're going to be king, you'd think he would say, I'm getting off the throne now, I give up, I quit, you're the king. But he doesn't do that. Saul stays on the throne. Now, doesn't that seem weird? That he can weep, that he can confess that David is right, he is wrong. All these things, but, but one thing he persists in. And that is he does not get off the throne. And that's the reason why God fired him. He will not obey God. Even now when he's been shown grace and mercy from God, he persists in his disobedience. So, David is faced with an interesting problem. What would I do if my enemies were delivered into my hand by God and I could do anything I wanted to do to them? What would I do? And then God does that very thing. The word of the Lord. Now, David did what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do is what is pleasing in the Lord's eyes. Does everybody get this? He did 
what was right in the Lord's eyes, it was right in his eyes too. Now what got him there? How did David come to make a decision that he knew would please the Lord? Because he thought about it beforehand. His mercy was premeditated. Now the opposite of premeditating is impulse. You know what impulse is? This unpremeditated thought that says, go get some chocolate. And you say, yeah, I want chocolate. So you, go, <laughs> you didn't have to think really hard about that. You didn't have to worry about your principles. And do you notice how often you'll, you'll get a principle or you'll get an impulse, sorry, impulse. You're working hard at something and all of a sudden something comes into my brain. Oh, you need to check out Facebook. You think, oh, okay. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I gotta, I gotta work. Oh, you need to get a snack. Oh, I'll get a, no, I won't, stop that. And you get all these impulses, it's kinda, don't think about it, just do it. See, that stuff isn't premeditated. It's spontaneous, it just appears in your brain and then you have to deal with it. So, David showing mercy wasn't this sudden, oh, I'll show mercy. It just hit me. That will never happen. David thought about this beforehand. When you premeditate, it is characterized by fully conscious, willful intent, and a measure of forethought and planning. So this is what happened. Way before this situation happened, David has been meditating in the law of the Lord. This is his formative exercise, his walk with the Lord. He's been doing this since he was a kid. And the whole idea of meditation is you think about this beforehand so when the situation comes up, you don't react on impulse just because the situation seems to call for it. But you react with principle. Does this conflict with my principle or does it agree with it? Like when the devil says to Jesus, who's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, hey, make that stone into bread. Now that's a temptation to disobey God because God said, I want you to go into the wilderness and not eat. Jesus was hungry, he was starving, he was about to die, but still God hadn't said, break your fast. It was simple as that. Jesus could have turned the earth into a loaf of bread But he says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's the principle that he lives by. 
So the devil says, okay, let's do this. I'll take you on top of the temple, and now you can jump off because the angels will catch you. Quick, jump. Jesus says, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's a principle. The devil says, oh, okay. Well, look at this. All the glory of the world in a split second, and I'll give it to you right now if you just fall down and worship me. Huh? What do you think? Huh? No. You shall worship the Lord your God only, him only you shall serve. Get out of here. Jesus lived by principle because he thought about it beforehand. And when the opportunity comes along to do something contrary to that principle, he sees it clearly and says, no. All right? David thought about these things. And he writes in his psalm, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. And he thought about these things. The great commandments of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when Saul comes into his power to do anything, it's like, well, what would I like to have done to me? Would I like to be killed while I'm going to the bathroom? Do I want to be killed when I'm the anointed of the Lord? She goes, no. Even though I could do it, it's wrong. I want to live according to principle. Because God practices unchanging covenant love even to his enemies. Now, let me tell you what I thought about one time. There is not one verse in the Bible that I can think of where God rejoices that he sends the devil into the lake of fire. And if you ever want to think about this, try to find a verse where somewhere where God rejoices over the defeat of the devil. Isn't that interesting? God does not rejoice over his enemies. That's a principle of God. Even when that enemy is wicked, hates God, utterly opposed to him, God does not rejoice over him. Now, David is taking this upon himself. And you know, Christians live according to God's principles. It means being born again, right? It means your old life crucified with Christ, your new life in the image of God. And you know what the evidence of that is? The evidence of being born again is that you live according to God's principle. Here's what Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him in John chapter 8. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He says, this is what characterizes my disciples. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 
Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You see, this marks a Christian. It's somebody who has a desire for the word of God. I have seen that over and over again. People that didn't care about God, they become Christians, they devour the word of God. That's one of those healthy signs that God has done a spiritual work. I know other guys who have prayed over and over and over again to receive Jesus. And you would think, textbook conversion. Wow. But then there is zero desire for the word of God. And I think, what? I mean, you asked Jesus to be your Lord. He is your boss now. And you have zero desire to find out how to please him. You don't know anything about what he wants for your life, and you don't care. And he's your Lord. Huh. That's, that's kind of a weird thing. The people who are interested in pleasing God find out what pleases him and then they do it. Because it says in Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. All sorts of things can look good in my eyes, but are they? And he the word of God is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It shows me. Even though I might feel fabulous about cutting somebody's head off, God delights in unchanging mercy. I'd love to kill this guy. Oh, but that would be wrong. Well, see, if I'm going to please God, then, you know, uh -uh. I'm going to show you unchanging mercy. Take that, you know. because it pleases God, not me. So if you've come to Christ, then you've got to think about this stuff beforehand. You have to premeditate. And you know, that means you're going to be in the Bible. It has to. But you also depend on the Holy Spirit to teach you. He will. And you are preparing yourself to please God. That's why you do it. It's not this incomprehensible religious exercise where I don't know why you're just supposed to read it over and over again. But you're saying, I want to please you. I want to know more how to please you. Now, if you don't, do this. If you don't premeditate, do you know what happens? You receive the grace of God in vain. Think about Saul standing before God. And God says, David showed you mercy from me. 
He did kill you, he honored you, and you understood. You were wrong, he is right. Why didn't you get off the throne? What were you thinking? And what's Saul going to say? I didn't think. Now, what am I going to say before God? If God says, you were completely ignorant on this point, what do you have to say for yourself? You know, what are you going to say? before God. See, we can think about this beforehand and realize if I want to give a good answer there, I need to give a good answer now. Now, is God showing you grace? Do you know that he's right and you're wrong? Have you ever wept about it? I know I have then have you gotten off the throne of your life and let Jesus sit there and never take it back? Because if he's not on the throne, you have received God's grace in vain. Does that make sense? And all that other stuff doesn't count for anything. All of Saul's weeping and confession is a waste of time. Because he didn't get off the throne. So here's what you say. I'm done being on my throne. I get it. I'm getting off. And Lord Jesus, you take that throne. And you stay there. Because if he isn't your Lord, he is not your Savior. Does everybody get that? Okay, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it comes down to such a simple issue. Who is sitting on the throne of my life? And that's really the, the greatest issue. Who is the boss? Is it me? Is it you? Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful and gracious. Thank you that you do not count me to be your enemy. And I know for myself, I have acted against you many, many times. And I'm ashamed of it. But of all the mistakes I make in my life, I don't want to make this one. I don't want to receive your grace in vain. Please take that throne in my life. Let me never take it back. Thank you for being compassionate. And Lord, help us to live by principle, not by whatever feels good, do it. Help us to think about where we're going. Think about standing before you
being ready for that day. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.